The scripture passage for today comes from the 23rd chapter of Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Hear now the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts, O God, to the word just read and the words to come that they might point to the word made flesh as they begin to shape us into the image of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We all know how the story ends. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. We know how the circle of life works. So why do we get so distracted by the less important things along the way? The psalmist cries out, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Perhaps by starting with the end in mind, a visit from the Grim Reaper, we will be in a better position to prioritize the things that matter most. Once again, in our scripture, we have an encounter with the Pharisees who seem to have their priorities mixed up. Jesus acknowledges that they have authority with the law of Moses because they sit on Moses' seat. Israel had a tradition that the Lord built Moses a chair on Sinai from which the law was handed down from Moses to Joshua to the elders to the prophets and all the way down to the present Bible teachers. The seat of authority is our, like our modern use of the word bench. A judge will occupy the bench or we'll get a ruling from the bench. So the people of Israel might get a ruling from the scribes and the Pharisees that they should take to heart and follow. However, under no circumstances were they to act like those ancient Jewish leaders, for they do not practice what they teach. Jesus called them out for their heartless dictating, their ostentatious manners, their pride, and their insatiable need for attention. As we look a little closer at these behaviors, I find it most helpful to pay attention to the ways that I, too, can be like the Pharisees. For example, they would come down harshly on peasants about a particular law that was overly burdensome for these men and women. Though the scribes might be sharing what God commanded, 
Jesus was concerned about their rigid and heartless way of teaching it. They lacked both compassion and a willingness to help. Do we sometimes choose being right over connecting? Jesus also scolded the scribes and the Pharisees for focusing too much on appearances. The fringes on their prayer shawls were extra long, and their phylacteries, which are the boxes of scripture worn on the head and the arms during prayer, were also oversized. They seemed to be saying, look at me and how holy I am. So I'm not sure how this plays out in your life, but I am hesitant to even put a fish symbol or a Church of the Palms bumper sticker on my car, not because I'm ashamed of being a Christian or because I don't love this church. I just don't trust myself out on the road. I would hate to give any of us a bad name. Their behaviors hit a little closer to home when Jesus chastised them for having the best seats and for wanting to be known and seen in the farmer's market. I did notice that Jesus said they love to have the place of honor and the best seats, which makes me think it's an inner quality of the leaders that feels less communion-focused and more hierarchical. Those of us in any type of leadership need to stay vigilant, frequently checking our motives and our behaviors. Trusting Jesus knows their hearts, he went on to say that when they do something good, they are only doing it to be caught in the act. How is your heart? How is my heart? It's a warning for all of us to pay attention again to our motivations. Would we do the act of kindness anonymously? Most of the time, yes, but it's a delicate balance. Everyone likes to be appreciated, and many times your stories of kind-heartedness inspire us to do likewise. Goodness begets goodness. For the conflict in today's scripture passage, it all boils down to humility, a big problem for the Pharisees, sometimes a problem for us. Perhaps humility begins with the acknowledgement that the good we do is really God working through us and through the people who have encouraged and empowered us along the way. Perhaps humility starts with a sober, gentle glance at our own finitude. From there, we might be able to prioritize how we live our lives. We may not know how to do it, but we recognize it when we see it. In people, for example, like Stan Musial. Now, I'm not a baseball fan, but I am married to one. So I have seen a few too many games and heard a few too many stories about baseball. About 10 years ago, my husband Brian made me watch Bob Costas deliver a eulogy for Stan Musial. For the uninitiated, like me, Musial played for the St. Louis Cardinals from 1941 to 1963. Unlike his peers, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, and Hank Aaron, who gained great notoriety, somehow Stan the Man had become baseball's least celebrated 
truly great player. Stan was not a headline chaser or an initiator of drama. He was simply a talented, hardworking ball player who did the right thing, both on and off the field. Costas wrote how Stan taught us, it's more important to be appreciated than glorified, to be respected than to be celebrated, to be understood and loved than to be idolized, and that friendship is more important than fame. Sounds like humility to me. Costas reflected on this humility when he told the story of Musial's attendance at Mickey Mantle's funeral. Many famous people, including Billy Crystal, sat in a VIP section towards the front of the church. When Costas looked up from the podium, he noticed Stan Musial sitting by himself about a third of the way back. And in that moment, Costas was struck by the sheer decency of that simple act. He said nobody would have marked Stan Musial absent that day. He'd never played with Mickey, except in all-star games. He never played against him. They were in a different league. Dan wasn't linked to him in any way. Costas reflected on how a 75-year-old man who had battled prostate cancer had gotten out of bed that morning and gone to the airport, got on a flight by himself, and had flown out with no special treatment to pay his respects and to try to comfort a family that was in a great deal of pain. True humility means that we are able, at times, to put others' needs ahead of our own. We are invited to follow the example of Jesus, who embodied servant leadership, and who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. I've heard it said that humility is not to think less of ourselves, but perhaps to think of ourselves less. Hiding or denying one's gifts is not humility. We all have gifts from God, and we all have a role to play in God's story of love and redemption. We are in this with God and with one another, with all the saints, both living and those past, all together in a mystic, sweet communion. Humility also means that we don't think we have all the answers. Socrates once said, wisdom is above all knowing what we don't know. He taught an intellectual form of humility that freely acknowledges the gaps in our knowledge and that humbly seek to address our blind spots. This is especially true for Christians and our understanding of God, who is by nature mysterious, omniscient, omnipotent, and quite frankly, beyond our full knowing. On this All Saints Sunday, I am wondering this, with humility, can you see that you are also a saint? Not a holier-than-thou, rigid rule follower, but rather a gentle, compassionate, salt-of-the-earth child of God. Not perfect, but someone who loves God and wants to live humbly and love the way Jesus taught us. I like the way a little boy described a saint. One Sunday at church, his grandpa pointed out the stained glass windows that had pictures of St. Matthew, 
St. Mark, St. Paul, and a whole lot of other saints. When he got home, the little boy told his mom and dad all about it. His dad asked, well, what is a saint? And the boy thought for a moment, and he replied, a saint is somebody the light shines through. The saints in those stained glass windows are the capital S saints. In our Reformed tradition, rather than only putting saints on pedestals as holy people set apart in glory, we give glory to God for the ordinary, holy lives of the believers in this and every age. The Apostle Paul, in fact, was writing to the living saints in Corinth and Ephesus, those imperfect people just like us trying to follow Jesus. I recently encountered a living saint, and I asked permission to share this story. Last Tuesday, our small group of amazing women met on Zoom, which we have continued to do so that our friends who live up north part-time can participate all year long. We were sharing our prayer concerns, and I don't know what happened. I think a combination of all the human suffering from the war in the Middle East, the shooting that had just occurred in Maine, and some younger lives that are being lost to cancer caused some unexpected tears. I asked a volunteer to read the blessing, and then we said goodbye. And that's when the saints came marching in. I received a few emails from women who just noticed my tears, and they said they were sorry that I was hurting, and they just wanted me to know that they were here for me. Another woman from the group texted me that she was dropping something off. She walked into my kitchen, she set down a salad and a homemade dressing, and she said, I got nothing. I can't stop the war. I can't stop the hurt in the world, but I can do this. I made you a salad with all your favorite things, nuts, pomegranate, apples, pears, feta cheese. I got nothing. This is it. That simple gesture meant more to me than I can say. It was so much more than a delicious salad. I felt seen and cared for. I knew we were in this together and that I didn't have to carry the weight of my sadness alone. Friends, we are in this together. One of the great mysteries of our faith is that every time we gather around the Lord's table, we join the saints above and the saints below in mystic, sweet communion. The last hymn that we will sing today for all the saints was written in 1864, and it was written as a commentary for the line in the Apostles' Creed that we say each week, I believe in the communion of saints. The third verse of this hymn becomes the connecting verse where those of us on earth share blessed communion with the heavenly saints because of our unity in Christ. And though we might feebly struggle while we're here on earth, the vision of God's glorious kingdom that they already share in and our communion with them is a great encouragement to us since we are still part of the story of God's love and redemption right here on earth. It is quite humbling to be a small part of something so much bigger than we are. 
We are humbled, remembering all of the people who have encouraged us and brought us to where we are today. These saints may be living or dead. They may be people we've encountered or those we've only read about in a book. They may be larger than life, like St. Francis or Mother Teresa, or they may be the less celebrated saints, like Stan Musial, or a friend from your small group, or a stranger who happened to come by at just the right time with just the right words. The important part to remember is that this mystic, sweet communion of saints includes you and me. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. So let's focus on the important things in life, things like having compassion and encouraging others along the way with a kind email, a gentle touch, or a salad that tastes like love. <laughs>